Welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast, a show about self-discovery and lifestyle tips for moms. We are your hosts. I'm Kelly, a wife, mom of two, and an independent consultant with my own company in Chicago. And I'm Jessica, a wife, mom of three, and owner of my own outpatient mental health practice in Nevada. You're about to go on a journey of self-discovery as we chase a brighter you. Every single week, we will bring you new episodes that will cover everything from lifestyle and tips to more serious conversations about grief, life, and hardships. Whether it's a duo episode or we have a guest, you are guaranteed to pick up a new tool or feel less alone. This one is for the moms that have forgotten how to make time to keep their spark alive. Allow this show to be a reminder to always keep chasing a brighter version of you. Let's get into it. Today, we are talking about our November book from our Chasing Brighter book club, which is called The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters by Priya Parker. So Priya is a master facilitator, strategic advisor, and author. She is founder of Thrive Labs, at which she helps activists, elected officials, corporate executives, educators, and philanthropists create transformative gatherings. And she is definitely internationally known and sought out for her meeting facilitation and event skills. And so she put all of what she's learned into this beautiful book, beautiful cover, and it's all about how you bring people together. And we thought it was a very fitting book as we close out the month of November and we start in with the holiday season where we start to have a lot of gatherings. But really, this book and the tools in this book can change the way that you bring people together all year round, whether it's at work for professional activities in your career or volunteering, or when you invite over a handful of guests at a, for a dinner party. So Jess, yes. what did you think of the book? I really enjoyed the book. And first, I just want to say how obsessed I am with Priya Parker's background, that her dad is like this Christian American from South Dakota, and that her mom is a very spiritual woman from India. So yeah, I don't even know mixed. how they got together. And so yes. she spent time growing up all over the world because her parents got divorced. And so she was living all over America and all over the world. And also right with a mother who became this semi like Buddhist, spiritual, free hippie person. And then her dad, who was a conservative Christian. So that is just fascinating. And I think that kind of helps you understand why she's so in tune with the needs of everybody. And how when there is a gathering, she wants to make everybody comfortable. So I thought that her background was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the book is really broken up into a series of sections. And what to me, how I overall defined the book was it first talks about the why, right? Why are you bringing people together? The how, the when, the where. And thinking about that and being really mindful and thoughtful about that every time you're bringing together people, whether it's a work meeting, even so weekly, like it made me think about my like weekly project manager calls yeah. with customers or bringing people together for a dinner. And it's in that is very woven 
the fact that one of the things I think she really continues to reiterate is the host runs the show. And that when you, if you are leading a meeting, if you are hosting people in your home, you're in charge. And, you know, what it is for you and your job to really make the most out of any gathering. The other thing. Yes. And, Oh, sorry. I was just going to go ahead. I'll give you, no, you, I was going to move on to the next thing. I need to pause. I had a lot of coffee today, Jess. So yeah. I'm a little buzzed up. I've had three <laughs> sips of my coffee. Let me just get my coffee okay. here. So I was just going to say, it always goes back to the why. And so she gave so many examples in this book of how you would do that in like a small corporate meeting, a large corporate meeting, a small family get together, a small friend gathering. It just has me thinking, we've talked about this a lot. We used to entertain a ton. After COVID, we don't entertain as much. And it just has me thinking about when I did entertain and then if I want to entertain again, just really thinking about what that would look like. It's very fascinating. And yeah, like you said, it's all on the host. And I love how she dove into that. A selfish host is someone that doesn't take charge which was really fascinating to me that it's you're like, I'm at like the chill. She talked about the chill. Yes. Don't be chill. Yes. Yeah. And so you're like, I'm just going to be chill. But then other people might take over and they might have their own agenda or something. I really and I'm going to be all over the place. I know you're like, seems like you want to go in order, but I'm just going to, as usual, free this is flow. how it works, Jess. <laughs> and then I'm going to stare at you and try to murder you with my eyes. <laughs> Tell me your thought on where this goes in your framework. It was something that is interesting to me is that when we have gatherings, most of the time we were hosting gatherings from September to January. And we have a beautiful weather at that time of year in the Las Vegas area. So what ends up happening, and I thinking of this book, I think it annoys me, is the men, we have an outside bar with a little fire table. And the men would go outside and drink. And then the women were inside with the children. And that is something that reading this book has me like exploring and thinking whether I liked that and what that meant and what I could do to change that. Yeah, it should. And I want to segue into what you just said and draw us back to the beginning of the book and come back to this comment, because I totally agree with you that it makes me think differently about how we entertain. She writes very early on on the third page. When we don't examine the deeper assumptions behind why we gather, we end up skipping too quickly to replicating old state formats of gathering, and we forego the possibility of creating something memorable, even transformative. And the early part of the book, when she talks about why, the, why are you bringing people together and really leveraging that. If we think about everything that we do within Chasing Brighter, about being mindful, being present, and taking advantage of these moments when we are bringing people together to have it be a moment. It's just not having people over for a Valentine's Day party or a Halloween party or whatever it is. It's not just, hey, you guys are here, but really taking that moment to connect. And so this goes back to, again, human connection. Yes. And about really bringing a deeper meaning into a gathering beyond just, hey, you're all here, have some drinks. Yeah. And I think it's not that people don't have a good time. It's not that yes. people don't have Correct. fun. 
But I think also just what's coming up. I don't know how my algorithms are being focused, but I talked to you about the patriarchy. And so all this like mental load, patriarchal stuff is coming at me. And so now why are we stuck inside? We are as the moms having cocktails and drinking, but you don't think every five seconds they're like, mom, or you notice your child and you're like, oh, look, she's not playing with so-and-so or they're not playing with so-and-so. And then you get distracted. And so it's the dads get to go outside and totally have this space. I loved when she talked about the space. She used that party planners guide. Yeah. If it's like a formal event, 20 feet how between people. How much space do you need? Then 10 feet, 5 feet, 2 feet between people, depending on how intimate the gathering is. And she just talked about this simple dinner where six people went out to dinner and they shoved together three square tables and they had them sit across from each other, two, two, two. And then the people at the end were left out versus if they just would have put two square tables together and had heads of tables, it would be a closed circle. So she talked about that closed circle. People, yeah. So, yeah. It's about desire to have this sort of intimacy, mm. even at the end of, end of the chapter, which we all know everybody gathers in the kitchen. Like, I think it's just yeah. human nature mm-hmm. that everyone ends up gathering in one place to be closer together. Because typically the kitchen's the smallest room, I think. It lends itself to bring everybody together in a way that everyone feels a part of a conversation Mm -hmm. in some ways. We just had Thanksgiving dinner with Brian's family and we went to a restaurant and we sat at this long ass table. There were 24 of us. So 24 long table, very long fit everybody. And The book talks about when you are the host, your job, essentially what I'm seeing it as is you need to protect your guests, take care of your guests and really make sure everybody has a good time. But it's not about making sure everybody has a good time individually. It's collectively they're having a good time. It's creating this moment where they're escaping reality and everybody is together and making people behave beyond what they would normally do. So for this family dinner, we all end up, boop, everybody sits by their significant others and their children. Right. Right. And you just talk to whoever you can right. across the table and next to you. It's like a wedding. You make your own little closed circle. Yes. And what, after this book, reading this book, I think what could have been cool is that there is a much more designated and thoughtful seating chart even. There is yeah. a big emphasis on sitting boy, like girl, boy, girl. Charts. So you talk yeah. about even the guys are outside, the women are inside. The host, your right. job is to m- get people mixing and mingling. She talked a yeah. lot about parties that people have where you only use their first, like business parties, you only use person's first names. So you don't know who they are. Or like the Truman Capote party where he invited everybody over and they wore a mask. He didn't want people to know who they are. Leveling the playing field. She talked about pop-up roles. Yeah. And so there are roles that we all know about, right? Kind of like social and cultural roles. But if you're having a gathering that is speaking to a specific purpose, you can have pop-up roles. Like an example of a pop-up role would be like, everybody bring wear pajamas. Wear pajamas and bring a box of donuts. And like you said, or wear a mask or like what you want colors people to wear, what they're supposed to bring. Some people have very specific roles because they're trying to really impact the, the climate of the the gathering. Yeah. So there was one where there was a story about a person who had a holiday party and made everybody bring a photo of 
their favorite memory and a picture or something. And then everybody was able to share that. And mm-hmm. the end of the day, like with a lot of books we've read, the idea of really getting the greatest connection, the greatest fulfillment you have is this kind of connecting with other people. And the way that you do that is getting people to feel a little vulnerable and sharing of things and feeling safe and secure in doing that and creating those moments in gatherings where they had the people, everybody brought a photo. They they actually didn't bring a photo. They sent the photo prior. And okay. the the it was a famous singer or somebody who did this. And they put, they made a Christmas tree and made, put all the ornaments as these photos. And then the East person talked about their picture. Yeah. So I thought Wes has graduated from eighth grade this year. And I thought that could be cool if when we invite everybody over for his graduation party, for people to bring a photo of a memory or even just share a memory about Wes. So having these moments and this purpose around why you're bringing people together and owning that and then owning it throughout the party, right? So you're setting expectations before the gathering. What is the party going to be? What is everybody's job? I think that's why people like murder mysteries, Jess, because there are these ground rules that get set up beforehand. You have to come and you wear an outfit or your Oktoberfest. What I find interesting, and it has me thinking, and Priya, I feel, comes at this book from a very international and global perspective, and we're so American, right? And so I think about this where it's, you're talking about structure. And I do think people like structure. I like structure. Like, I hate, first of all, I hate going to children's birthday parties, period. But I hate going because they're open-ended. You don't know when they're going to end. They're like, oh, we have a five-hour, just stop by, no big deal. And then you don't know when they're going to cut the cake, and then you have to be there for five hours. I think I do like more structure, but because most of my friends are American, it's we don't want to be told like what to do and like when to be there and what we have to do. And so I just think, correct me if I'm wrong, the parties that I attend are all open. It's not, oh, you got to get there by seven because there's a sit down dinner, right? It's usually like a buffet. And and then so it just has me thinking, incorporating more structure. Yes. Yes, it does. Because what I realize it does is it allows everyone to have the best experience. And so having a little bit of structure around here's what's going to happen when, because otherwise it's once they're going to be cake. Oh, crap. So as as a host, it's your job to to own the show. But what is she? What's the word she used? Generous authority. Yeah. And also generous authority versus chill. But and that's what I wanted to talk about. I want to segue into Nora Abastat, who I'm fascinated with and now want to stalk. She's yeah. an entrepreneur in New York City. She was born in a small town in Germany to a German mother and an Egyptian father. And so she had a very similar upbringing, I think, as Priya, where she was is very global. And so she is known for her generous authority and parties and how she wants. Uh, she says it's like the Egyptian in her that wants everyone to feel warm and cozy and taken care of. So two things I love about this woman. One, at her own wedding, at Nora's own wedding, she had no couples together. And so she had separated couples and one, and they were like lower Egyptian style tables. And one woman went over and left her table and went to another table and sat on her partner's lap. Yeah. And Nora went over and was like, you have to go back over there because she like felt the vibe of that table shift. And so she made her leave and go back. She was saying it was because it was changing the vibe. And also that was a small 
short part of her wedding where people are separated from who they came with. I loved that so much. And then also, she, I thought this was so cool. Nora serves family style, what we say family style, right? With big bowls. Yeah. And it's, they say serve everybody else and make sure everybody else is served the whole time. Before and so think about when yourself. you go to family yes. style. I am so crazy, but I'll be like, okay, there's a bowl of whatever and there's six people. And I don't want to take a lot because I want to make sure everybody gets anything. So I won't take any or I'll take the smallest scoop ever. Yeah. Do you do that? Or no, do you think? Yeah, I know. I agree. Like everyone's serving everybody and not serving yourself. I just thought that was really cool. What it and I thought it was cool again, just coming from this Thanksgiving gathering where instead of worrying about the fact that you get a taste of everything, it's you making sure everyone else around you that the rule is that you can't serve yourself. It's related to I feel like it was Anthony Bourdain who said, or a lot of people have that rule that you can't serve yourself wine. It might be a cultural thing, like somebody has to pour your wine. You can mm-hmm. never pour yourself wine. Mm-hmm. And it was that the whole idea of you serving other people. This goes back to just think about our friends. You know what I really hate sometimes is I hate making a decision. But nobody else wants to make a decision. So it's, hey, girls, do you want to get together for dinner? Yeah. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't care. How about this place or that place? Everyone's, I don't care. I don't care. I'm like, we're going here. Okay. And you move on. And there, there is this thing where everybody wants to just be told what to do. Mm-hmm. I had this one friend, Liz Sorrentino, who is amazing. And she is a big foodie. And she used to be a food blogger. And she taught me everything I know about being a foodie. But we had a group of girls and we would all go out to dinner and Liz would come with us. It was amazing because Liz would just order for us all the time. Yeah. She knew what the things were that we needed to get and right. you didn't have to think. People just want to have a good right. time well, and not I know. sometimes. Yeah. And I just, I want to correct that because I don't want to be told what to do. I think what people want is they want to be relieved of a burden okay. of making decisions. Thank you, Jess. That's okay. a better way of saying it. <laughs> okay. Um, because it is, it's like nice to be taken care of. Yes. Especially as women who are just burdened with the mental load, all the time's decisions that it's like, oh, I can just go. And Kelly is going to just take, I know Kelly is hosting. She's going to take care of it. I know we're going to be relaxed. And maybe that is something to think about as we're talking about the chill host versus generous authority. But About the children, it makes me think that it would be different if we made much more structure for the children who attend your party. Because I think with the gatherings that you and I go to are many times family, right? I think that is the hardest part is putting the effort in. So I would love for her to do the art of gathering with kids. Mm -hmm. Most of the book is about these adult dinner parties. They sound amazing right? And these other gatherings where it's all adults. I don't recall a lot of children involved in her decision-making. I've often wondered that. What if when I had people over, what if I had a magician for an hour? Or we used to do that when I were at the kids' old school and I ran the chili Mm cook-off. We would always have a kid's a formal kids activity. And it really took the burden off the parents to have something for a moment. We had, and that's where it goes back to where she says etiquette versus pop-up roles. But we had, our Oktoberfest was adults only. And we were very strict about it being adults only. 
And then I wanted to have the Cards Against Humanity party. And you don't want kids around. It's an, I right. didn't want kids around. I think it's inappropriate for children. Yeah. And then you like, it's like it seeped into like, no one could find a sitter. So this one mom couldn't find a sitter and she's my really good friend. And I'm like, fine, because I love her kids. When the other mom was like, I can't come. The time I wanted her to come. And then that changed the whole dynamic. But we had a nanny at the time. And so we had the nanny just, we have a loft upstairs. So we were like, we're just going to order pizza and make the kids stay upstairs and have the nanny take care of everything. However, how it is with kids and it's the three different families of children that came totally changed the dynamics for my children. And then I was worried about my children not having a good time because you know how you can have friends, but like your children are not necessarily friends. And so anyways, I've had a nanny a few times. And I've even thought about this. I think people have have done this before. And I know I'm getting off track of the book. Kelly, write notes. We're going to do Art of Gathering for Children. Get your pen out. Okay. Mm-hmm. But let's say you and I lived in the same town and I hosted a party. You would hire a sitter at your house, right? You would get two people at your house and have all the children in one That's what I was thinking situation. about that too, is what if I put together an event with a friend and one of us hosted the adults and the other yes. hosted the kids. Yeah. We have something here. I know about gym cats. I was thinking about gym cats the other day, but we have gym cats, which is a gymnastics gym, but they do everything and they host parents night out. I don't know how often, but anyways, one of our parties coincided with parents night out. And so it was perfect. So our friends dropped off their kids at gym cats and then came over to our party Yeah, I think that's just side note, something to think about that is something not in the book is how to address the kids. But it has me thinking, wow, if we shifted some of this thought over to the children and if children came and we had more of a structure for them, that would be pretty cool because that would take off the burden for us of having to worry about the children. So halfway through the book there, and we're going to put this in the blog post because I thought there were some really good nuggets of info in this. And one of the things was the Abu Steet, um, Nora, is that what you said her name mm-hmm. was? Yeah, Nora. Mm-hmm. When she talked about, she had once written a friend and offered tips th- for throwing a dinner party. And there were things tips. that That's she the said. German in her. <laughs> so number one is you are the boss. Hosting is not democratic, just like design isn't. Structure helps good parties like restrictions help good design. Two, introduce people to each other a lot, but take your time with it. So I want to come back to that point too, because I think that's one of my gaps in entertaining. Number three is be generous. This talks about generous authority in a different way. Be very generous with food, wine, and compliments and introductions. I think you make Mm -hmm. your guests feel so wanted Mm -hmm. and so cared for in this moment, which I definitely have room for improvement on. Always do placement. Always must place boy, girl, boy, girl. So she talks a lot about where people sit and and how everything is placed. Within each table, people should introduce themselves, but it must be short. For dessert, people can switch. So even going back to the Brian's family party with Thanksgiving dinner, we should have changed for dessert or changed halfway through. Appetizers keep rotating people, especially because when you have gatherings where everybody knows each other, it gives you a chance to catch up on multiple people. We found ourselves in the end of the evening being like, oh, I didn't get to see such and such or did talk to. Yeah, I think that goes back to 
your why, there are gatherings where it's just your friends and you don't need to do those introductions, right? And so that's the why. So if you're having a party because you want to bring in all the people you care about and they may not know each other and, you, and your why is, is, is what for, for them to get to know each other, I think those introductions, you're right, are so important. And I love how she talked about generous authority versus chill, where she had all these people over to her house. Priya did. I think it was her that did that. And then someone came up in there. She said it felt awkward. She couldn't understand why it was awkward. And someone was like, could you give us introductions? Yeah. And so she wasn't prepared. And so she gave these introductions, felt like she knew some people better than others. And she got some of the things wrong. And then it had been like 30 minutes and her husband was like, you need to stop. And she was like, but that's not fair because these other people didn't get introduced. And that being this like hour and a half of mm -hmm. horrible, awkward introductions and having just thinking about that, if you're bringing people together, what would the introductions look like, how you're seating people? And then she gave another example of this fun game you could play and the host got it going. And then left and then somebody took over the whole thing and yes. changed it because you were trying to be chill, but then someone else might take over. And anyways, I thought those were all interesting with those with having like games and introductions and things planned. And when I planned in the past, I've definitely planned to I think it's better to have too many activities than like nothing at all. Yeah. And I saw this also just in my own like consulting work, having hosted or ran a lot of workshops. But I just came from work last week where I ran a workshop and I was reading this book. So one of the things I did was part of you want to bring people together for a purpose. And so one of the things I did because of this book was when we went around and did introductions for people, I asked them a specific question about why they were here for that workshop, what their expectations were of the software tool that we were talking about. and. So I was really thoughtful about what question I wanted it to be, because sometimes it'll be like, tell us your favorite movie or something that has nothing to do with the workshop, yeah. but it does get people talking. And so figuring out a way when you do introductions, especially for work, to maybe bring people together. And it, it, at least it was great about the question I had them ask is it let you know where they're coming from and everybody had their own unique opinion because sometimes if you ask a question people are like oh me too what do you like most about your job oh the people next person oh the people so trying to figure out like a great question to ask that was one thing the other thing that I feel like I can improve on though when I do these is I think it's the idea of generous authority because I think I sometimes get either too authoritative or too chill right so for the workshop I was very much I was the timekeeper I made sure we were on task I made sure we we're getting through the content so we got through everything we needed to in that day the problem was the first day, I feel like I was maybe too regimented. And so because of that, you ended up not getting people participating as much as you would like because we were just right, like right to the subject. And yeah. you don't get a chance to really get people don't get anything out of it in terms of even connection and team building in some way. By day mm -hmm. two, people were more relaxed. So I think for me, figuring that out. Now, the flip side was like I did a workshop back in July. And it was really more like I let the client lead it more. And it was a complete shit show mm -hmm. because we couldn't stay on task, couldn't stay on topic. And, and a lot of my work is project management. And part of that is leading. And I think there's a real, this sweet spot of figuring out how to do that, where you bring out the best in people, but at the same time, you get what you need to get done. And, and I so, think, it, yeah, it goes to the why. And I just, 
especially in the corporate world, it's like people want to meet for the sake of meeting so they can meet and then they can meet. Could that have been a bullet point in an email? Do I have to sit there? Like it made me think of Gabby was practicing at the softball field the other night. And it was like, I guess, the end of ceremonies for this softball league. And they had a microphone. They were so loud. Okay. But they were talking. And I was like, I would want to die if I were there. But they were like, this is Susie. She's the head coach. She's so amazing. She's been coaching for 24 years. And we love Susie. She works so hard. Blah, 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 blah. Susie, come out. Hi, guys. I love my team so much. It was just like, just all of this talking. And I was like, this is for eight to 12-year-old girls. Do you think they care that Susie's been volunteering for 24 years when you're stuck in a room hearing people just talk and then you have to wait to give your two cents whatever so there is that whole section it goes through a lot of different groups so i think that's really important when you have a meeting what is the true meeting what is you what is the truly the thing because what i found even professionally as i've done that my meetings can be 20 minutes because yeah. it's just, let's get to the point Well, here. because I think if it's meetings become about people wanting to get information out there, and that's not necessary anymore. We have text loops, email loops, social media. People are getting the information. And like what we're talking about, and I love why this book is called The Art of Gathering, because it's not about a meeting going through bullet points. It's about gathering people, because you and I talk about this all the time, we're made of energy. Right. So we want to get these people in a room. Right. Look at your greater purpose on what you're doing and how you can capitalize on that. And we've got to change those old structures where it's like that's how information was getting out there because you had to attend the meeting and then hand that off to your other people. Yeah. We don't need that anymore. No. Yeah. I know. Yes. And I think for work on bigger meetings, I learned this from one of my clients is we used to send out a pre-read. And even for big meetings for, and she talked about that too, right? She does a survey before she'll have a big workshop. Mm -hmm. She doesn't call it a workshop. She calls it visioning because it's about really like collecting everything you need to before you come in. Going back to this same reference to a dinner party, another midpoint through the book, she talks about connecting your guests and it talks about the use of generous authority is in connecting your guests to one another, one measure of a successful gathering is that it starts off with a higher number of host-guest connections than guest connections and ends with those tallies reverse, far in the favor of guest. And so I love that. And I think that's something else that I can do a better job of. I threw the fundraising party, the Luau party this summer, and It was unbalanced because I had a bunch of families from one grade and only one family from another grade. And so the family from the other grade didn't know the other families very well. And so they were standoffish most of the evening. And I tried to pull them in, but also just personality wise, I think they tended to be a little more shy and reserved. And so it was really hard to like pull them into those conversations. We didn't do a sit down dinner. We just gathered wherever we were. And so I think in those cases, I didn't do a good job of taking care of those guests. And I think what helped with this book, Jess, is I love to entertain, but I hate being anxious. And so it's hard for me sometimes to bring people on because it really stresses me out. What this book shows me is I can live my best life of entertaining and just be more thoughtful about building those connections. I think my fear is that what if 
Bobby doesn't like Jimmy or what if all these things instead of people aren't there. You to have. Like, yeah. You have control over that. Yeah. And I think that goes back to and she says a survey. I think that if you were having something like that luau again, you could ask a survey. Hey, I need you to fill this out. We're going to have some activities. You know what I mean? And, and it should just be like occupation. Where are you from? What are your hobbies? Because you didn't know the people, right? Because people won. People bought this dinner at an auction. I knew. I so, knew them, though. I did but, know all the people. Oh, okay. But I think that's a great point, though, is because I thought about if we hosted another fundraiser. Because, see, the thing was, is what I did was I stacked the deck and got a bunch of my friends to buy tickets. Oh, to buy it. Okay. And then I left a yeah. couple open. Yeah. But I think it's like there are all kinds of icebreaker games and things like that that you could come up with. And I think that could be fun or because people didn't know each other and were left out, right? You were trying to be a chill host. And so how could you have connected people, tried a little bit harder to connect people? Basically. Exactly. Yeah. And I think also perhaps though setting the expectation of people coming in, I want you mm -hmm. all to have a good time. I don't think the book was as organized as well as it should have been. And the frameworks aren't as clear as they could have been. She talked about the end of the book is all basically like people show up at your party. Now what? Right. And so there was a section where it's about people are crossing the threshold. So if we think about this as you're creating this sort of fantasy moment where everybody's in and they're changing their behavior and they're doing they're in this moment. So how do you create that threshold? So when we had the luau party. Everybody got a lay when they came in. So that was interesting because I inadvertently created a threshold there. It was like, you are here now. And from there, though, you need to go to this building connections, this why you all are here, this, hey, everybody, thank you for coming tonight. And really put, reiterate what the purpose is, which I didn't yeah. do. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have people together, no matter what, I think it's a great thing to do is to really take that moment to know, hey, we're all here tonight for yeah. this purpose, or here's what I want to have happen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And maybe it'll make people have a different point of view. Yeah. I also want to say, which we didn't get into, is she did talk a lot about who to invite. And it's just as purposeful to not invite people. And that was very helpful for me. Because I, I have gotten really stuck on the cutoff point of inviting people. Because let's say it's someone that like my really good friend is really good friends with that they're not my friend. I, don't, I just think I spiral. And so it's like tapping back. What's the why? What's the purpose? And that it is just as purposeful who you're not inviting as who you're inviting. And that was really helpful for me. I think being thoughtful about who you invite and why absolutely mm -hmm. is something she spends a lot of time on. The reason I struggled with the book, it meanders, is what I would say. So the fact that at the end of the day, it's who, what, why, where, how kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. It's not structured that way. There are eight chapters. So that's why the chapters get weird. Again, this is my own nitpicking of it. The end of the book, I'll just say this. This is why I didn't think it was like laid out too well is it was like 15 ways to make a conference or any kind of gathering suck less. 15. So then I'm like fingering through here to be like, okay, what are the 15? And one is 10 pages on one topic and then a half a paragraph on another topic. And it's that just doesn't feel well balanced. I know we read a lot of self-help books. And this one, I think I have also an appreciation for the way the book is laid out in addition to the content. Did you read or listen? I would say I 30% listened. 
Okay. Because I did not like the narrator. Yes. So I listened. And because you're listening, you appreciate the narration and the stories and the case studies and all that stuff. Because if I were driving around and it was just, you want the meat, you want to cut out all that shit and get to the, this is what you do, bam. But if I'm driving around, that's stressful because I'm like, I got to pause it. And when I get home, I've got to take notes about it. I think, so yeah. I think you wanted to cut all that out and you wanted like a tight guide. Here is my aha moment on that, Jess. Mm -hmm. I think what Priya struggles with is she's trying to do both. Mm -hmm. She's trying to tell a story mm -hmm. and yet build a structured art mm -hmm. of gathering. You can't do both. Her why's not tight enough. She was, she's trying to include too many people. So I think, Priya, in your next book, do go one path or figure out how to structure the book differently. I, I think that was her intent, right? I don't want to just give you these 10 tips. This is the art of gathering. It's not just like this boring structure thing. I want you to really think of it in a creative, beautiful, purposeful way. Anyway, if I don't know. I did this. Yeah. Like I've often said, like I'm whenever we get invited and I only know the guest mm -hmm. or the host couple, sometimes I'm reluctant to go. Yeah. Because the world is not quite great at gatherings. If I knew that my host was going to take care of me and that no matter if I didn't know anybody there, I would be okay. I wouldn't think twice about going places. So I yeah. think if there's one thing to sum up this book about all of us wonderful, amazing, chasing brighter followers and women who are trying to live our best lives, it's really taking care of your guests. And if you're going to host an event, make it so that everyone is leaving there with more friends and more connections than they came with. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you love today's episode, please share with another mom. And while you're there, it would be great if you gave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about Kelly and I, want to find more of our blogs, tips, tools, resources, check that out at ChasingBrighter.com. And we interact with you on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing Brighter. Thanks. We'll be here next week.